What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Chat Podcast. This is your girl Emily, and in this episode, my guest co-host is one of my favorite badass black belt, Tessa Ho. We chatted with the one and only powerhouse, Livia Jaws. In this episode, we talked about making money with jiu-jitsu, insurance, and its importance when competing, injuries and longevity in the sport, choosing and communicating with training partners, and mobility advantages. We also finished our chat with some random trivia and a little game left by Tessa, which was pretty funny. Enjoy this chat. You were ranked number one in Australia in both gi and no gi. And number two in the world, the no gi by the end of 2014. Two-time Asian champion, three-time Australian champion, 11-time Pan Pacific champion. You won the Abu Dhabi Pro Trials. You were 2017 IBJJF Nogi World Champion Silver Medalist. You won Copa Podio in Brazil. You represented Australia twice in Abu Dhabi World Pro Championship. I mean, and that's just in jiu-jitsu. We haven't even touched the fact that you compete in sprint cycling. You not only competed, you won races in sprint cycling. You were rhythmic gymnast for 12 years. I didn't know that. Look at all this stuff I I like not knowing. Jack of all trades, basically. (laughs) Jack of all trades, but you are a master of more than one. I mean, you not only were a gymnast for 12 years, you also represented Poland and Australia. And you run your own clinic called Physio Lab Melbourne. You also co-own and run Absolute MMA. You coach the main BJJ team. You're the forefront of women's BJJ down there. You're on the board for professional boxing and combat sports in Victoria. You also work part-time in close personal protection. I mean, you teach paramedics, pilots, students on violence prevention and self-defense. And out of all of that, you're a black belt in BJJ, and you only started (laughs) BJJ at 25, apparently pretty late compared to most Mm. competitors today. I started when I was 25 too, but Liv is way better than me. So, yeah. No, I'm really not. You could... You could... Beat me up so bad. By sitting on you because I am twice your size because you are a hobbit. (laughs) That's still beating me up. You're a hobbit. Yeah, I'm a bit bigger now. Okay, let's, but let's be relative. When you say bigger, bigger. yeah, let, let's clarify what you mean by bigger. It's, it's very no, relative. I, I mean, quarantine, I like, I've just been eating chocolate every day and then whinging about being, feeling fat. So but that's totally know, normal. That's right. I mean, yeah. Is it kind of yeah. normal that you get to, that you get to roll around <laughs> with, uh, with your husband at home? Or is it kind of like, you know what? I don't want to do this uh, anymore. It's not that normal. No. I'm sick of you. <laughs> Dude. No, uh, we're, ve- <laughs> we're very lucky, but we don't usually train together. He's a he's, bully. Uh, he's quite a big, <laughs> yeah, he's big, you know, like he's a 77 kilo male, but like obviously males are strong and he never uses strength on me, but it's just not really realistic. So in lockdown, we have trained together and, and what I'm useful for is like the leg lock battle because I've got tiny little feet and they're hard to actually heel hook. So I can be of help and like Berimbolo is because it doesn't require much strength. But um, no, I, I often cry when he like... <laughs> When he rolls with me with one hand because it hurts. So we don't often train together unless we have to, which is nice. But it's been good. You kind of like play handicap concepts, you know, like, okay, we'll train together, but you can't use hands. Well, sometimes, or he'll let me start in like really good positions, like really far in and see if I can, you know, I still only like if I start in mount or side control, I probably last about 10 seconds before I'm like reversed and submitted. So, so yeah, handicap, but I'm still so not So just for context, which weight class are yeah, you it's currently good. in? Uh, at the moment, I would be a featherweight. Usually I competed light in light feather. I've competed 
at Rooster Dude, before, that, which that was scary. And like those, I was <laughs> so like, I'm going to mail you some McDonald's and some cookies because girlfriend needs a cheeseburger <laughs> was, or something. It, was it wasn't good, good at all. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, like it, it kind of, I used to, I don't know. I don't really know the pound system, but like in kilos, I used to, for years, I set it like 52 kilos with that, like just eating pizza and ice cream and training a lot. And I thought, oh, well, what's another, you know, five kilos? I can just lose that by That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a lot. yeah. So I got to like 50 and then I was like, oh, I don't think I should be any lighter than that. But I did it and I'm really glad I did. And I did it once for IBJJF, where I won Brand Belt Worlds, and then I did it two more times for World yeah. Pro, uh, but that's a day before Wayne. So the next day I was already 53 kilos. Um, it's a good experiment to see what like what you can do and what the body can do, and uh, not so much the body, the mind actually, but yeah, I wouldn't do it again. So right now I'm a comfortable featherweight. I have love handles, and it's kind of fun because I don't get pushed off as easy, and, and There's it's okay. some advantages to that, <laughs> like jelly power. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I can't believe, because, okay, let's, let's just break it down scientifically. You're 52 kgs, and you're trying to lose 5 kgs. That's 10% of your body weight. And, like... Okay, the human body is a lot of water, but with IBJJF, if you're doing it with just water weight, that's a lot to dehydrate yourself before just fighting. Now, like yeah. MMA style where you have like a day to recover, it's understandable. You can get down, but man, you're insane. <laughs> that's just insane. I think uh, I, like, I, I would never actually dehydrate. I think the most amount – actually, for those worlds, I only dehydrated about 300 grams uh, just because it's actually really yeah. dangerous. So. Um, I think performance from the research, I might remember it wrong, but from the research, if you cut more than 3% of your body weight, water weight, your performance starts to decrease. So I never do that. And on top of that, like being that small already you and that lean, that you do have, dec- yeah. no, and you have decreased blood volume as well. So the more you dehydrate, your heart has to work harder and, you know, that's how people have heart attacks. So uh, whenever I cut weight, just like a disclaimer, I always consult with a doctor and a dietitian, and I have DEXA scans and it's not just me being crazy. It's always like done very, like under very strict supervision. It's not so, bro science. Yeah. It's real science. Yeah. I think that's no, really exactly. important too. Yeah, right. there's, a lot, there's so much bro science out there and people generally think about, oh, cutting weight, getting lean, yeah. they're going to lean towards the bodybuilding community, right? And they might follow yeah. kind of what they do, but yeah. It's completely different type of like exertion upon the end of your cut. You you don't perform yeah. the same way, so you need different approaches. Oh, for sure. And it's not about, you know, it's literally about weighing a certain number, not about looking a certain way. So the higher you can get within your category with the – so there's other things like, you know, getting rid of the fiber in your body or, or carbs that bind water and, and so on. It's not just like getting as skinny as possible or dehydrating as much. Yeah, yeah. It's very interesting. How much of body issues have you really dealt with in the sport though? In jiu-jitsu, I really haven't, uh, but I have had major body issues in, in my time as a gymnast many, many years ago. Uh, jiu-jitsu is – I mean, of course, I think I might be wrong, but I think everyone wants to look nice and feel nice. And of course, I still, you know, I have like my ideal. uh, I love it when I have a six pack and and I feel fit and great. And I can, you know, if we're moving house, I can carry furniture and so on. But uh, it's not so much about how I look, but about performance. Um, So the first time I did a big cut was as a blue belt for my for worlds. And I went from feather to light featherweight. And I was actually really afraid of it, thinking that, 
some of my disordered eating or bad habits or like some mental disorders might come back from gymnastics, but um, it really hasn't. So um, yeah, I, I don't see jujitsu as a, you know, a way to look a certain way. It's purely for performance. I feel like jujitsu is actually one of the healthier sports, if anything, because I feel like a lot of girls are lifting. They like that, like, they lift yes. a lot. They're super muscular. Like the bundas, like the butts are really like, that's yeah. like the big thing is like, how's your butt? And I'm like, this is a great sport. Everybody <laughs> should be doing squats, including yeah. myself. Totally. And, and the, you know, you get compliments complimented by someone saying like you feel so heavy today yeah. I'm like yeah thank you and it's so different to other sports and and look of course like every person is different as well some girls uh, and men as well like you have to find your own weight division I know my optimal weight and I don't do very well when I'm trying to be too big or too small so some people just don't deal and whether it's genetic or for whatever reasons they don't do well with cutting weight or they have a lot of trouble I don't so it's okay for me but it, it's not the case with everyone um, everyone finds their own sort of weight division and that's why we have weight divisions and that's the cool thing about it. Do you think it largely has to do with the mindset as well? For example, like in jiu-jitsu, the minute you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm able to like smash this dude and he's like twice my weight. So that confidence kind of kind of supersedes everything else, you know, like who cares? I've got love handles. I can kick ass. That's more important to me and I feel good. I feel like I feel more confident about myself and thus if you go like deeper into the game and you want to think about, okay, I want to be quicker, but how do I be quicker? Well, if I lose a bit of mass, I could probably be quicker. If I train a certain way, I could probably be quicker. So now we're chasing performance as opposed to aesthetics. I, I think so. And I mean, the like the best I feel is personally when I, after training, and that's probably like just the endorphins tricking my brain. But uh, you know, when you're, you, you girls, I think everyone goes through that. Like, with my team who know me, like when my hair is everywhere and I'm red and I've got this like, you know, back fringe growing out and, uh, pineapple and I'm sweating has on combusted. Like, my, into someone's <laughs> eyeball. Yeah. <laughs> I, like I feel the best like that. And it's not because someone's judging me on the way I look. It's like, I just feel so good about myself because of this thing that we get to experience with our friends and our teammates. And I'm sure, I'm sure like that's one of the reasons why jujitsu is so addictive. I think so too. Well, given your background in gymnast, and this is Tessa's question, because I'm like, what is a star pass? A star you know, pass. it's when you, you remember um, the Henzo, who is it? It was like Henzo versus somebody ADCC, and he does the cartwheel over there, like sitting guard. Oh, yeah. I'm really bad at that. But I expect <laughs> you to be so good. You're a gymnast. I'm expecting like a double flip rotational thing, and you end up like this, and then you choke him from behind. I expect that on the next video of you and Maki rolling. <laughs> I should actually try it. No, I'm actually not amazing like at all the like acrobatic stuff, but I do use my flexibility. I think even more now than I used to in the past. I oh, think yeah. the hella flexible. The thing with like strength and yeah, but like you have to actually control it a lot. So when I first started, I had issues trying to control my strength and flexibility, and it's taken me years to try to you know work it into my techniques, but. Um, I don't do, I actually don't do too many like sort of acrobatic fast movement type stuff, especially for passing because I don't have an ACL and I have to be quiet. I like like the pressure control type passes. So I can't train Toriandos very well because the change of directions is not great for my knee stability. So yeah, I'm a disappointment with the star pass. <laughs> That's okay. Next time we roll, you can try it on me or I can try it on you, which will be okay. probably not great. <laughs> Like I hope, <laughs> might kill yeah. each other. Like I hope you have your like extra kgs ready for this incoming, <laughs> I incoming I long star. 
Yeah. <laughs> I can just see yeah. it right now. It's just, hey, flying limbs everywhere. I'm the Hobbit star. <laughs> yeah. You know who actually does it really well? It's Claudia Duvall. She has an amazing star oh, pass she? that she... She does it. It's like one-handed. What is what is it like a round off or something? And then like a little bit of a shoulder oh, yeah. pressure. So it's like one hand shoulder pressure, and then she's over on you. And it's really good and really unexpected. I don't know. I think she's pulled it off in comp a few times. Hmm. I should try. Dude, it you should. You should. Like, I bet if you did it, it'd be like, ooh, look at this. I'll I'll record it and then I'll retire. Yeah. <laughs> the key in star and and having a good star pass is to be quick. As well as timing? Uh, I think it's more timing. Like, the way Claudia does it, she pins the leg down, and then she kind of, like, flips over. I, I mean, I, I can't really explain it because I can't do it. But because the leg is pinned down, the person can't really move, and they're still sitting. Mm. So then she can just kind of, like, cartwheel over. Yeah, I think it's mainly yeah. timing. Like, you could probably do it a little bit slow and controlled, but you have to time it right, otherwise the legs will come You have to you. pin the leg. Because I've definitely caught yeah. people who are who do capoeira, because capoeira people do it a lot. I've caught capoeira yeah. people do, trying to do a star pass on me in triangles, and I'm like, I retire after this. <laughs> like, this, is, this, is, this is a highlight of my guard. That's it. It doesn't get better. <laughs> hey, that's pretty good. You just got to get them stuck in worm guard yeah. and they can't move. But, so Emma's small. She's a hobbit too, Liv. So that's why I was like, oh, you should meet. I'm probably yeah, more of a hobbit. Liv. And she's hella flexible. <laughs> so hobbit. I was like, you, the same yeah. games. Emma, you should follow Liv's games because her flexibility and her guard is exactly what you should be playing. Yay. Yeah. It, it's interesting with flexibility. I'm really flexible in like side splits and, and hamstring to an extent. Um, my like external internal hip rotations are a little bit limited because um, I'm old. So I'm getting some hip impingements and stuff girl <laughs> i know it's starting Wait, i mean but i'm but, so older than you so i don't want to hear it like yeah but you look it's asian asian it's asian, it's asian. We cancel out yeah <laughs> exactly i'm missing out i've got wrinkles and but that doesn't help the joints um, my joints has been old like yeah. i just hurt my knee surfing trying to hold on to my board with a toe like yes, yeah. you right? I know. Tessa. MCL. Uh, I, I. It's not as bad as when I tore my MCL, but it's a little bit depressing when the size of the wave. Yeah. It was very. It was very very small. Yeah, dude. Mm. How do how do both of you actually yeah, like continue to train on with, throughout all types of injuries and still you know continuously compete? Like, how does it not phase you anymore when you compete after? injury and after injury i would say it phases me <laughs> it, but once you compete you don't think so much about the injury but i guess it does help being a physiotherapist so like i i mean the biggest thing for me training through injuries or competing with injuries is knowing what injuries likely to cause permanent damage versus what something that I can protect and it's just sore so you know i've competed like with a broken hand but again it's always with a consultation with a specialist I would never like make these decisions myself and and like sort of getting permissions like what's the worst case scenario if I make it worse and like in this case I had like just a a, a crack in the bone and they were like just take the cast off compete put it back on you'll be fine you know same with my knee when I tore my ACL that we're heading away from surgeries for for torn ACL so when I saw my specialist he was like okay well you've got good stability you're highly motivated to do rehab if you change your game to avoid wrestling and 
you know, you, you can actually compete. Like broken rib, you really can't compete <laughs> because you can't move. And that's like, that's when I just go, all right, I need time out. Like I can't even drill. I can't run. I can't do anything apart from, I don't know, maybe some leg rehab, you know? So it really depends what it is. If you've got a herniated disc in your neck and pins and needles down your arm, it's not the time to do jujitsu at all. But if it's a torn ACL and, and you weigh up the options, the pros and the cons of keeping going, for me, doing jujitsu and competing even has been such a big mental health thing and and keeping fit and like going to the gym to be around my teammates is really big for me whereas other people don't want to be around the gym when they're injured because they get really envious and jealous so I think you have to really find out with injuries like is it worth it like is winning a medal worth permanent damage you have to really think about what injuries you have and whether it's worth it and how you react but you always think about it I like to say that Liv is super disciplined about her rehab. If you follow her on Instagram, her stories, she's like doing mad reps of like squats and like the right, because she is a physio, she does it the right way, right? So I'm always like watching her channel and be like, oh, what exercise is that for that knee? And I'm like trying to follow along and like be like, oh, yeah. I got to do it like this. I did actually, like, I did put that up. It's a bit much, like, especially before ADCC, I was doing the rehab or lifting three times a week and, uh, one of the reasons why I decided to put it up is because a lot of my patients sometimes go like, oh, yeah, I'll do my rehab, and then they don't, and they don't get better. And then the reaction is like, oh, yeah, but you're an athlete, or you're this, or you're that. It's like, no, I actually like, I actually don't have a day off from rehab because that allows me to do my sport or, you know, dance in high heels or whatever your goals are. So that that's kind of the reason why I put it up to say, like, it's actually really hard and you have to do it. And if you don't, like, if you can't commit, then you have other options and you might have to do surgery or whatever else. This is all about priority, like priorities, right? It comes down to also, like, if you don't have insurance, you yeah. don't have to, if, if finance is like your biggest hindrance to either competing or pursuing whatever your dreams are and also getting the right treatment, seeing the right people, and stuff like that then it's just never gonna happen mm. but most importantly you just find a way to make it happen yeah you guys have really expensive insurance right it's a bit different in australia to see like like physios or a surgeon or whatever yeah like it's out of pocket but it's not it's affordable for most people and if you do struggle you still have medicare to give you some free appointments and so on uh but yeah i think for you guys it's a lot harder unfortunately i don't know what the system is in malaysia how's it in malaysia the u.s is a nightmare don't yeah i, I mean malaysia is pretty much the same um i honestly am not too familiar with it as well because i haven't lived here for a while i mean but having said that i don't think it's right. like very much of a big difference i think hong kong was good though because i do remember hong kong hong kong was yeah, good. hong kong self-care yeah like i yeah. legit oh, really? had friends who would go in deliver a baby and pay like 200 hong kong dollars at the end of it and 200 hong kong dollars is like what in the u.s hon- test i completely forgot it'll be like like 20 u.s dollars can you imagine that you walk out of the hospital yeah. Yeah. having delivered the baby and paying 20 bucks wait so in the u.s you don't have a baby for free <laughs> yeah if you like deliver it yourself oh my god Dude. it's so ex- are you serious Dude. Dude, I think it's I saw expensive. the other day, like an average, on average, if you have your baby delivered, I think it's like 7000 or something like that in certain states. And that's just like what? average. In, pro- you know? in public? It's hella no. expensive, man. 
That's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, we have we have the choice to go private, but our public system is free. I think you might have to pay for like one one or two ultrasounds, maybe, but the rest is all. all no, free. like I have I have insurance through my work, and even just to go to see a doctor, not just like a regular doctor, I have to have a copay, and my copay is like eighty dollars. And then if I have a procedure, I have to meet my deductible. And every year, like the maximum that I pay is like. $3,500, but I'm paying for my insurance. So I spend, I spend what? basically through, and my work subsidizes it. So I spend $200 a month for my salary for my healthcare in the US. And then I still have to pay on top of that. So like Hong Kong was, was yeah. way better. Although I still had insurance in Hong Kong just in case of everything else. But yeah. I've got insurance, but mainly because jujitsu is yeah. such a high risk of like orthopedic yes. surgeries that I want a choice of a surgery. You can still go public, but of course it's it's a little bit different public surgeon to someone who specializes yeah. in also, athletes. Also, does your insurance cover yeah. you internationally? For example, like when you're in Abu Dhabi, when you're all the other countries competing and stuff, if you do get injured there, um, would they cover you if you do your surgery or your treatment back in Australia? No, I don't believe so. Uh, maybe if you came back and went to a public system, yes. But I always, always, always travel, travel insurance, insurance is so key. Um, like if you have any sort of, it's so key. Like hotels, any delays, baggage, anything. anything. Yeah, exactly. it's so great. And and the other thing to look for travel insurance if you are traveling for jiu-jitsu is that they cover jiu-jitsu. And that's actually really quite hard to find and to have it put in writing as well. There's a couple um, of, um, yeah. I think I use like Nomad World Travel or something. There's like a few like yeah. for extreme sports. They cover all yeah. extreme sports because it's the same with surfing. It's like they don't cover exactly. surfing too. So it's like, yeah, so you but... have to get the, the travel insurance that covers extreme sports that like bungee jumping. Well, I'm like, okay, yeah, you might go bungee yeah, yeah, jumping. Yeah. You might get hurt. So No, I think it's number one. Don't travel without it. I was actually stuck in the States probably about... I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. And I had really bad gastro. Like I was literally like ate some Mexican and I was really sick and I ended up in oh, hospital. No. That and could bankrupt you, man. I was, oh man. They like, as soon as they found out I had travel, I mean, I had travel insurance. So they were like, oh, we need to do a brain scan and a pelvic CT. And I'm like, I need to vomit a burrito. That's all I need. <laughs> and I need some painkillers. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think the, the bill was like, I was in emergency for about five hours and the bill was 15,000 US. The, the system, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But I think this is important for people to kind of be aware of because I guess some people just assume that oh if i do jujitsu my insurance won't cover it or like completely vice versa oh i'm covered mm. about everything so i think it's pretty important for yeah. people to understand the situation they're in yeah. and not be discouraged by it as well just so they don't have to worry about it and they can focus on their sport yeah well i also feel like if you're doing jujitsu in the u.s that that is something i mean until you're 25 you can be covered under your parents insurance but as soon as you turn over 25, now you're responsible for your insurance. So it's one of those things where I know a lot of people want to be a professional jiu-jitsu athlete, but you have to like actually balance it out and be like, am I going to, is it worth it if I get, you know, hurt? If I get hurt, am I going to be bankrupt for life? Like, you know, it's, and these are considerations that I think some people don't actually think about, um, 
in the US. I, I would never think about it because it's so different here, but that's something, yeah, it's so important, you know, like even if you're young, you don't really think about it, but it can affect your family's exactly. life, like everything, your work. Yeah. Do you have really a lot of people kind of assuming um, some type of way about you? Like they might assume, wow, this person's so accomplished. They probably have all the money in the world to not worry about finance and not worry about making a living and she can just like commit to jiu-jitsu full-time whereas it's not the case for you I mean like you run two different businesses you work full-time you still manage to train four hours a day and you compete as often as possible uh, uh, look uh, probably in the last few years I don't know physio is like a bit of a lucky job where I can choose my hours and especially working for myself um, I can squeeze my patients in between my own job um, I've only had my business for about two years or so. So before that I worked for, um, you know, other, other clinics and I've always been really upfront about what I need. And I, you know, like, I, I think I never like miss out on work. I always give people notice for when I've got competitions coming up, I do like a yearly plan and so on. Uh, but I do try to negotiate my hours so I can train as much as possible. I also don't think you have to train like, you know, five hours a day. Like, I don't think that's very smart unless like you're taking PED, PEDs and, and you can recover and so on. I, I think you can train smart um, and you don't have to spend your whole day training and recovering. The other part is like, I've, I actually like doing other things. I think, you know, going to work and thinking about a different problem, jiu-jitsu part, like it's not the end of the world if you don't get a sweep in training, you don't go home and, and worry because no one really cares. Like no one cares about jiu-jitsu apart from the people that are doing it, right? Um, but in saying that, I have been lucky that I've been able to create a workplace where I can literally like kind of work whenever I want to. In saying that, I play a lot of roles, which is really, really tiring. So I might see like a patient in the morning, then I'll train for two hours, which is like a pro class, which is really difficult. And then I'll have a quick shower. I'll see some like two or three patients Then I might do strength and conditioning, see another patient, coach kids, see one more patient. And then I might coach a fundamentals class and then train till 9 p.m. And like that constant changing going from teacher, coach to a physio to, or, you know, whatever other, like going to a board meeting or so on. It's actually really, really tiring. But at the same time, it's really fun because you're not doing the same thing the whole time. Uh, but look, especially as a female, and I don't know, like if you guys have a different experience, but I think it's really hard to make money. Uh, from just competing unless you're doing like instructionals and seminars all the time which is good but it's extremely tiring like traveling around the world is awesome and I wouldn't change it for the world but you're not like just you know even when we went to Hawaii like we were there I didn't even see you yeah had, yeah we had two seminars and it's like you're you're flying in at 1am you're leaving at 7am so it's not sustainable to do for a very long time um, but I know like now with Lockie, you know, like we're doing quite well with his instructionals, but again, it didn't happen overnight. Like we've had the YouTube channel for years and years and uh, we knew he was really good, but it probably wasn't until ADCC that people actually took notice and then, then realized that his coaching is, is actually really good as well. So it is like years in the making and it's persistence. And, you know, I think in the end, if you want to make good money, if that's your aim in life, then... Um, you could invest your energy into something else that makes you more money and do jiu-jitsu for fun because it's, it's not an easy choice to do it. 
Um, and that's why I didn't just quit everything. I, I don't know who would pay for me. Like Lockie would be like, I'm not paying for you to sit around at home and rest, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Uh, but some people manage it. We've got heaps and heaps of athletes or lots. I don't know if you say heaps. Um, at our gym who like train full time and they don't really work or they might do a security job on the weekend and that's okay probably in your early 20s but I think when I got more towards my 30s and 30 plus I think you know I I don't want to worry about paying my phone bill like it's I'm not interested in that so it just depends what your goals are. Well I also think that when we started like Obviously, we started before when there was just like purple, brown, and black in one division, right? Yeah. So there wasn't yeah. an opportunity for for like girls or females or even women to actually make money from this. And like some of the, you know, like Hillary Williams, she she's a doc, she went to doctor, and I I specifically asked her because she was like destroying it. She's like, yeah, there's no career for me here. She's like, you know. I, if I break them, I'm going to fix them. So she became a doctor, which is why live being a physio is so great because she can break people and then like be like, yeah, and then be like, I'm charging for it too. Be like, here's my card. See me after hours. Yeah. It's a fantastic business model. That is like if you're gonna the do it, do it ever. that way. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, Hillary's like totally one of my idols. We've actually like I wrote her a message probably about I don't know a few months ago because uh, I was just stalking her oh, on really? her blogs and Instagram for like 10 <laughs> years. Yeah. And I was like, all right, I have to have like, hi, I'm your idol. I've been stalking you for 10 years. And she's like, oh my God, I know you. So we're like, we, we talk a little bit now. You should totally get her yeah. on the podcast. She's like one of my she, favorite She's people. on the list of like people I made for M. I was <laughs> yeah. like, oh, Hillary's awesome. Like, like she's, she's so cool. I remember watching her purple belt match with Gabby. Do you, did you yeah. remember that at Orals? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that was so yeah. sick. Like, yeah. okay, so there's some matches in history that I don't even know if it's video recorded, but like you had to be there because it was so historical. And like that was one of them. Like she was going against Gabby, and it was like world absolute, and she just hit this beautiful drop, Seonagi. <laughs> It was, it was amazing. amazing. And then was that the year that Gabby had, she said she had cramps or something like that? I forgot. Yeah. I so, so then it yeah. like, it just, it was insane. Just the, her, I mean, it was the most, be- when people hit, when smaller people hit dropsy and nagis on bigger people, yeah. the crowd goes bananas. It was the yeah. same when Bia Basilo like hit it on Tayani. Like the exactly. crowd went bananas. Exactly. And I'm like, well, she's so little. Of course, the bigger person is going to go over it. It's yeah. just natural. It's just physics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's physics, people. And it's, and it's also, <laughs> it's unexpected. It like, you don't you don't actually think that they're yeah. going to try because they might die. <laughs> yeah, they could like, just but go yeah. splat. <laughs> the other cool thing was uh, she was one of the first, um, I don't know if she was there first, but um, females to referee. This at is a true. She level. is. Um, she was, so, like, probably yeah. the first black belt female referees yeah was there an issue prior to that like was that a big kind of fight to get by or is it just like no one had really volunteered to want to do it yeah, i don't know i i would say that most of the black belt females at that point were coaching so maybe they didn't have an opportunity or the time to do that because like like that's the same time like leticia and yeah. like hanette yeah. they, they had their teams and they were just like just coming yeah. off a of competition i don't think they were ready to move into to refereeing. It's like yeah. a little bit different. And I think it it probably was a bit of more of a boys club, and I think it's changing now for sure. But it's it, it might have been like to me, I would have never even considered it because it's like oh the the guys do that, you know. And it yeah, it wasn't. It's like hang, hang on, how come the guys do that? <laughs> so Hillary also yeah. speaks fluent Portuguese, so that's like a huge 
um, that might have been a huge yeah, factor yeah, in sure. being able to do that. Sure. You know, so she speaks fluent English and Portuguese. Is it yeah. safe to assume that there's a large women's community <laughs> in Australia then? Oh, it's huge. Yeah, there's actually a lot of women doing um, training and competing, and I mean, it's like every country, like at the purple and above, there's really not that many girls that are competing, and the ones that are, we're actually all pretty good friends. Um, so it is hard to find matches without flying, you know, for 15 hours at least one way. Um, so that's tough. And um, But there's a lot of girls training at my club, like at Absolute. Every night we've got, I don't know, between five and 25 women on the mat. And they're all from white to black belt. Like we've got all belt colors, all body shapes and sizes. And, and that's really changed in the last five years. Um, but yeah, at the high level, like, um, Hope was training with us in Melbourne. Um, yeah, I love Hope. Hope. And, um, Hope's my crabby buddy. Man, she's, she's so, so good. good. She's so oh bloody good. I was, yeah. <laughs> she's amazing. But I was actually yeah. super stoked she went to train with you guys down there because like it, it's hard knowing what her goals were. Staying in Sydney would have been very difficult, I think, for her to reach her goals. Yeah. And the fact that you're a physio too, like between what her and Ari are doing, it's kind of like mimicking what you and um, Lucky are doing. Yeah, yeah, and so it's yeah, good. Ari as well. It's yeah, but but I mean, you know, because like we like we just would never fight each other. Even pain packs, we might be like our only opponents, but it's so stressful to like fight your friend. And then you know, even though it might be like for practice, like people yeah. sitting there and going like, oh, did you see this? Did you see any? We just decided not to because it's just too stressful. Like we would rather spend the money on the entry fees to go and have a beer and you know and roll. There was something that was in Sydney and Hope needed somebody to fight, and so I was like, okay, sure, fine, let's fight. <laughs> Right. And then, but we made we had like yeah, a different yeah. like we made it fun. So it was like one one fight. We did like two fights, and I was like, hey, one fight we're only allowed to do barimbolos or something. That's yeah, right. and so That's we just right. like I was like, okay, we'll fight, but we can only do barimbolos to each other. So like yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I remember that. So we just made it like a little bit fun and silly, and, and like then at the end of the day, it's not really like who cares. It's you're just having fun. That's true. That's a good idea. Yeah, but it is, look, the, the community yeah. is massive and it's uh, it's really cool. Like every club is getting more and more women. I think it's still hard for the regional girls that are not in the main cities. Uh, but I, I like I pretty much never roll with men anymore, uh, apart from like this lockdown, um, just because it's, I, I don't have to and my body thanks me for it, I think. Um, so, yeah, we're pretty lucky. But it took years and years yeah, of work. <laughs> Has it been difficult trying to cultivate women to get into competing? I think we actually, as a percentage, we have more women than men competing. Uh, you know, like you always go, oh, like the uh, the team is small, but out of like 100 men, probably 10 will compete. But out of 20 women, we'll probably have 15 competing. Um, again, it's not for everybody and everyone has different goals. I think most of our girls have tried it at least once. And for some, they don't keep going. Um, it is probably a little bit easier when you have like myself and, and Hope when she's there. Um, and, and the girls can send the guys as well. They can see that this is a like black belt female who I roll with and they might do pretty well with me. Some of the blues and purples and browns at my club do really well with me. And if they see me like medal at a world stage, I think it's kind of like, oh, hang on, if I can sweep or sub live, like maybe I can do well at purple or, or brown belt. So I think that and also having someone to travel with, like when I first started, I would go to a lot of the comps by myself and it's pretty lonely and it's not that much fun. Like um, it becomes pretty serious. So ha always having a team of girls to go somewhere with 
it makes it so much easier. And you kind of want in on that, you know, because you do like, whether you like it or not, like the competitors or the pro athletes, whatever they are, um, you do form a bond because like you're, you're there the whole time. You're training once or twice a day and you travel overseas together. So you do form a closer bond. And that's like, that's really cool. <laughs> like, that's my favorite thing about it. Yeah, that's true. Because I played basketball, and that was my favorite in college. And that's my favorite part is you're, when yeah. you're traveling, you're having this shared experience, and it's just a giant adventure. And, it, you know, of course, you go to yeah. battle together. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, okay, yeah, okay. What, what buffet are we going to after weigh-ins? Like, you know, where are we eating? That's the most important question. Where exactly. are we eating after this comp is done? <laughs> where are we eating? <laughs> And yeah, what are exactly. we eating? Yeah, like cutting weight yeah, together. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For sure. Like, so cutting weight together, doing all of that together is really fun. But then on the other side, like we've always, um, I, well, I've always really was very careful of being inclusive to everyone. So like if there's an event or we go out for drinks or something, I make sure everyone's included, whether they compete or not, because it really doesn't matter. What are your advice? Like, this is actually one that tests questions. And I thought that's a really good question because that is legitimately what I actually need. What kind of advice do you have for girls my height, but at my weight? Because I'm heavy for my height. So when I do roll with right what, now, how I much sit. Do you weigh? I, well, I fl- What's heavy? By Asian standards. Yes, not, you're, you're not heavy. By Asian standards, from my height, <laughs> I should be sub 50, sitting around 46, 48 kilos. But I'm sitting around oh 52, God, 53 no. right now. No, 52. No, I'm joking. <laughs> You're silly. Um, I actually don't think it's like it's good at all to weigh 46 kilos for training. And I know some women can't help it because that's how they are. But I think it's really, really hard to be that small just because you don't have many training partners. So if you can, like my advice would be don't. I, I know obviously everyone's different body shapes and sizes, but don't feel pressured to be whatever Asian size <laughs> box people put you in because 48 or 46 kilos is like impossible to train with I find a difference with me I'm about 58 at the moment and the difference between like 53 and 58 just means I can roll with the boys and they don't just like buck me off as easy I can exert some pressure so I'm actually a little bit safer Um, of course like it's easier you know if I compete at light feather to sit a little bit lower so I don't have to drop as much weight so I don't yo-yo so much but um, it is actually better for me to be a little bit heavier I just have more variety um I think it really depends what club you're at. At my club, we're very lucky. We've got lots of small girls. Like, or Actually, we have girls of all sizes. So um, I generally don't really roll with people over 65 kilos, to be honest. You roll with uh, Whether me. it's guys or girls. <laughs> yeah, but like... That, that's the difference, you know, like that you're very Long. nice and controlled. But also like you're... I mean, I might be wrong, but you're very good at not going 120% because I might get hurt and I don't know that you'll learn much because you could just sit on me and squish me, you know? So I think higher belts or, or people, it's not even higher belts. It's people who have had experience rolling. Yeah. Uh, smaller people that are also technical, um, I'll, I'll roll with, of course. Um, so sometimes my favorite roles are the, you know, black belt guys who are like 75 kilos, but they know how to make it challenging for them and for me. Um, the advice 
would be to teach people like if you don't have small training partners you actually have to teach people so I spend like my angry blue belt years like being really annoyed at people and going like hey you're going too hard and and just blaming them for a lot of things but it's a learned skill you know it's not now that I'm a little bit bigger than I usually am and I have my training partners at like 53 kilos, even that five kilo difference, I can actually hurt them. And it's been a real learning journey for me to try to keep the pressure, but only enough pressure to control someone and not to, you know, because I could just pick them up, but I don't know if I could do that someone my own way. So I'm only learning that now and it's actually really hard. So what I've started doing, like with the guys and the girls who, um, either roll too hard or too easy with me. I would rather that you roll too easy because we can ramp it up and I can say like, hey, don't be scared to tap me. I can tap. You just have to do it. Controlled manner. Um, (coughs) Controlled. Like I'll always tap. You just have to give me time. So if you're going to be fast, don't be strong. If you're going to put pressure, don't put pressure and and speed together. You know, it's one or the other. But if you give me time, like you can put a triangle, you can get a heel hook. Like I'm not silly but at the same time if you're just lying there and letting me like i don't know mount you and like that's not you're not learning yeah, anything it's not either. Conducive so, for either for either party pretty much no and, and i think just taking the time to really like kindly teach someone how to roll uh and tell them when you, they're going too hard or too easy uh and the other thing is actually don't be scared to refuse roles if there's you know there's a lot of like white blue maybe even some purple belt guys that are just way too big and strong and I just go sorry like my body's not up for it and they'll always be like oh I won't hurt you I won't hurt you and I'm like I know you won't try to hurt me but you might and it's not even like falling awkwardly it's like breaking a grip I'm like man like I'll let go if you just touch my hands you don't need to rip them off because then I can't train for a month so uh, the the higher up the belts I've been getting, the more confident I've been getting in refusing roles. And I think that's really important. And that's that's really important when I'm teaching seminars because it, it's crazy what happens. So yeah. I just like, I just don't judge it. I could imagine know? at seminars because it's like, it's, it's like a feeding frenzy. They're like, ooh, we can like, like I can just see it in like the blue belt yeah. eyes. They're like, I want to try like test. The, like I see it with the guys. I've seen it like, and it's amazing because some, like, Keenan and some of the black belt guys will roll with everybody. They literally will roll with everybody. But Keenan is ginormous. And, like, those guys, like, Lucas Apri does the same. But he is much bigger than the guys, right? Yeah. And so it's always a controlled role for them. Like, they're very, like, they know who to pick. And it's always timed where it's, like, two minutes. Two minutes. Yeah. Well, what we've done, because we taught a seminar at Keenan's, and he actually, and, and we've actually... Um, kept that going on a seminar tour but uh, basically what ended up happening is like the guys really wanted to roll with Lockie and so they would just shark tank him not because they like wanted to be fresh but because like they were just waiting for the turn so Lockie would do like 30 rounds with fresh opponents who just like wanted to kill him and it just becomes dangerous so Keenan would be like if you want to roll with Lockie or Liv you have to be rolling that entire time otherwise you don't get to roll so everyone's tired you know um yeah, I, I would always go like girls and small guys come with me. I'll only roll with you. Um, if I see someone go crazy with Lockie, I'm like, no yeah. thanks. <laughs> uh, 
Um, or I just stop. Like I've stopped a few people, especially like yeah. white belt guys, and I'm like, what are you do-? Like you have to stop. You're going to, you know, hurt me or slam me or something. But in saying that, most people are amazing and most people play. Probably like the blue purple belt girls go the hardest because they're like, I want to yeah. tap a black belt. Yeah, you totally. Know? <laughs> so it sounds yeah. like regardless of gender, the minute you go in the blue belt, you're like, yes, I made it. I'm in the club. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I actually learned this from Michelle Nicolini back when I was a blue belt and she was teaching a seminar and training with us and she would enroll with any of the guys yep. at all. And she would get tapped quite often. And, you know, the, the speech she kind of did was like, I'm playing. If you guys want to see me comp training, you come to my gym in my hometown when I'm comp prepping. And I, it's exactly the same with me. I am so different. Like playing to ADCC prep, I'm like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a different person. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Tessa, from your experience, like, so how, like, how do you approach rolling with me, for example? You know, because like you're such a fun role for me and I'm a lot smaller, but like, is that hard for you as well? well? It, it isn't, it isn't. Like, like when I went to your sem- you and Lucky seminar in, uh, in Hawaii, my head mindset is when I go to somebody's seminar is like, okay, they've just taught me this thing. I'm going to try to do it to them because I want to yeah. see what their counters are, right? I, I want to see, can I even get to there? Like, what am I, how are they, they know what I'm going to do. Like, it's obvious what I'm trying to do, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. how are you keeping me from doing it in the first place? And that's basically what I'm trying to, so I'm, it's it's not a comp role for me because I'm trying things and I'm no, learning. Exactly. And I'm, it's almost to the point where I've slowed myself down because I'm looking for your reaction. So it's like, it's like, okay, that and that's usually when I roll with other black belts in new schools. Um, it's a learning experience for me, so I'm never yeah. going hard. It's always kind of like I want you to kind of catch me because I want to see how you're catching me and how you're setting it up. And it's like and like how the pressure feels and right. Exactly. So it's it's, yeah. it's almost like I'm putting myself in their advantageous positions or I'm trying to do what they do to them, which is going to be a shitty version, obviously, of what they do. But just to see how how are they doing it, like even their blue belts, because the blue belts will do a shitty version too, but they've seen it, so they'll still have the defense to it, right? So it's like, okay, so yeah, how yeah. are they defending? So it's like everything comes down. So like, I don't mind tapping. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's learning, right? So I'm just tapping and learning and tapping Absolutely. and learning. So, but that's yeah. my mindset. And yeah, that's it. No, I think like with seminars, I'm exactly the same. Like you try to do the that you're thing taught, yeah. that they've taught you or like you try to get the person to do it exactly so you feel yeah. what it feels like but yeah you're right like I would I would have guys like most people will do that and will play and like it's really fun and we laugh and some guys will be like I will do everything to sit on my knees and make sure they like she never gets in a leg entanglement so like yeah. I can't because you're 80 kilos so I'm just like I just lie then I'm like okay if you want to <laughs> waste the five minutes we have we can because i'll never um yeah them or you know like but yeah it's just wrong attitude but that's like every single training session it, should yeah be like that, i agree I with you actually yeah. this is a question for both of you do you notice patterns when you are i guess when you're in the match with a different size opponent do you kind of almost expect them to dish out something certain moves certain guards certain attacks i don't think it's so much the weight class for me um whether it's big or small person like i personally don't do open weights anymore unless it's like it's in australia um but yeah it's not 
like I definitely notice patterns, whether it's in training or in competition, you might feel someone out and you go to do a certain pass, they react one way and you go, okay, when I enter again, I know they're going to go this way. So you have the counter to the counter. Um, I mean, it it's a pretty small pool of girls at, at Black Belt. So I usually am aware of what someone does and what the like best guard or pass is or whether they pull or do a takedown. Uh, but you can't, like you, I think it's wrong to just concentrate on that. You have to be aware of what they do, but you still have to do your A game or whatever your game might be for that particular person. So yeah, patterns in a role, but I don't think I see necessarily patterns in weight classes, apart from like different guards and more flexible. How about patterns when it comes to like, so our height and Tessa's height, for example, the two of us come together, yeah. we might assume, okay, well, this person's taller, da, 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 da. and then on Tessa's yeah. side, she, she might assume, okay, this person's smaller, they'll probably be better at this, so yeah. I'm going to make sure I don't get caught in that position, you know, that's what I mean. I still think it's kind of based on an individual level, like, so for someone, like, really short and flexible, I would probably expect more, like, uh, bolos and, and kind of, like, shallow lassoes and, like, very tricky guards to knee cut right if you have because they're so mobile if you have someone short and maybe stocky but not flexible they might do more clampy type like half guardy type game yeah and same with tall people like i really struggle with like your spiders and and worm guards on someone tall and lanky but some people might be tall and lanky with back or neck issues and they hate to play open guard because they can get stacked so then you feel a bit more tension yeah and like you might play more like eggs guard or half guard or so I think, like, yes, you kind of know generally what body type attracts what guards, but I think mobility. it still really depends yeah. on the person. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I see that more uh, with mobility and age because the when it doesn't, it doesn't matter, like, the weight category. The more immobile you go, right, the more they're going to do pressure passing because they don't, they don't have yes. the mobility to do the side-to-side passing, right? And when you're younger, you use that mobility more than your pressure passing. It's like that. That's just something that you see. And then, like you know, the the new players they'll invert more because they can. And then older guys can't invert. That they just can't. So they're not even going to play that. So they'll play a half guard game or something a really strong close guard or something where they're where they're like clamping. And that's just a lack of mobility with their hip mobility or you know other things. So so they're compensating for for what their mobility is. And that's that's the game. So it's. You see a pattern, but it's based on that person's mobility and what they can actually do. Are there some handy tips and tools for especially girls to roll uh, for the first time, maybe in open mats and be like, okay, look, we haven't rolled together before, but could we just set like a couple of boundaries here? I want to make this beneficial for you to one of us. I'm 48 kilos. I know you it. You might feel like you're going to hurt me. You're not going to hurt me. So how about this? You set a personal goal for yourself. My personal goal is this and your personal goal is that. And we go. Is that something productive? Yeah. Um, I do it. I do it with some people, especially if I'm injured. Um, I, I mean, it is hard, right? Because I know everyone at my club, so I kind of know. Uh, usually, if it's someone new, like say a new purple belt guy comes in, and I was like, "Ooh, they look small. I think I want to roll with them." But I'll always go to the guys who roll with them first and go, "Are they safe? Yeah. <laughs> Are they safe? Should I roll with them?" You know, because and then they're like, "Don't, yeah. don't do it, don't do it." Um, I'm usually the tester for new girls. Like if there's a new girl that comes, I won't like, I'm really protective of my like 50 kilo brown and purple and blue belt girls. So I'll go and test them and I'm like, no, you're fine. You'll you'll be right. Uh, But I think it's absolutely appropriate to say um, how you want to roll. 
other than that, I just set the pace. So like, I don't try to get the first grip and like, you know, snap them on the head. I'm like, hey, and we'll just kind of like tap hands and and I just try to relax and see if they follow that. And if they really don't, then I, I kind of go, hey, like you're going a little bit too hard for me, um, you know, either slow it down or like basically we have a saying like if you don't know how to do something don't just do it harder and faster and sometimes I if it's a younger belt lower belt I'll tell them that um but I don't know I I I don't have that many issues with guys going completely like completely spazzy and if they do I just don't roll with them again I I, like I've got too much to lose yeah I I actually find that the girls sometimes at open mat, like new girls, are a little bit more crazy, and you know, I'm like Eula, right? Like I'm the black belt. You're supposed to be welcoming, right? So usually I'll yeah. like, and I'm protective of the girls at whatever gym I'm at. Yeah. So I'll go first, and like if they're like really crazy and they're coming to kill me, like luckily I usually have a little bit of a size advantage on them. I'm just like, all right. Yeah. Just gonna have to sit on you now. <laughs> Not the real test. Yeah, like, I'm just gonna have to sit on you, put some crossing gracie pressure on you and and just like let you calm down a bit and then like you can play with the other people, but you know, this is this is what's gotta happen. <laughs> but but when yeah. I go to other gyms too, I think it's also important when you go to a new open mat, you should be rolling in a friendly environment. Like you shouldn't be going in unless it's a comp class like trying to kill people you're a guest you're just trying to like make friends like I think the attitude has to change a little bit I'm actually like learning now how to play a lot more and I think because like I am small I've always had to go a little bit harder like I would have to like go harder than you rolling with say a 55 or 60 kilo guy because of the strength advantage and what I'm finding now is that um, I've missed out on a few years of just playing like I've always had goals in training I've never just rolled I've always like every training session I've had a goal in what skill I want to learn but I've missed out yeah but I, I still haven't played as much as I should have I haven't like allowed people to sweep me so I could invert of a reaction to do something else. So I'm playing with that a lot now, you know, and then um, it just becomes more of a game and, and you learn a lot more. You discover different pathways. The other person has more fun. But of course, when it's a comp it's class and it's six out of a comp, I'll have, yeah, I'll have two or three sessions in a week where I'm like, I am not giving up an exactly. advantage. I'm going to like kill this, this is my person. game. This but is what I'm playing. The, yep. Yeah. But your training partner has to be yep. on the same page. Otherwise, like I've told people to stop. Like at night, I just roll light and in the morning I roll heavy. And I tell people, I'm like, I'm only flow rolling or not flow rolling, but I'm not fighting to my, you know, to the death. And if they want to go 100%, I just like, if you want to tap me, tap me five times until you get the hint. I'm not responding in that way. Definitely. It's definitely like I know when the guys are in comp mode, like, even though normally when they're not in comp mode, we'll roll and we'll have battles. When they're in comp mode, I can't even, I can't even yeah. roll with them. It's yeah, like, you're just like, it's like a different <laughs> level. And it's like, maybe if I'm your rest round, if you need a rest round in there, I'm happy to jump in. But if I can't give you that level of comp training that you need when you, when it's at that level, it's intensity, it's strength, it's speed, it's everything. The, the reactions yeah, that they need, I won't give it to them. And it's like, that resistance, I just, I just can't provide the resistance. I might be the same weight, but the resistance, the reactions, it doesn't make a difference. Yeah. It's different. I mean, even like with Lockie, like before ADCC prep, sometimes I'll be like, okay, you've got a restaurant, roll with me, we'll just do a leg lock exactly. battle. And he would rather rest. He would rather rest and sit there than oh, roll really? with me because <laughs> sometimes, like, I mean, 
it, from like 50-50 and leg entanglements, I was a really big help to him. But otherwise, he has to change yes, his jiu-jitsu you're so small. much to roll with yeah. me safely. Yeah, then it's it's like it's not even realistic. So he better use of his time is for him to have a restaurant and for me to roll with a purple belt guy, you know, like and that's the reality. That's not all the time. That's before major comps, obviously. How do you reframe, how do you reframe like suggesting a play round? Because... It might be associated with, oh, you're just not being serious, but I want to improve. Like people might associate play as not improving. Although I see play as pretty much essential because play creates your portal to be creative. And that's when you can develop kind of like your own way that works for your body, right? And jujitsu, there's so many things in, this, in the syllabus. And if you want to learn, if everybody learns from the same teacher, then you pretty much... It's predictable. Um, I think the big thing for me, if someone doesn't get my vibe and if they don't get, like if, if I say, hey, let's just play and I'm always like trying to crack a joke or like be relaxed and they don't follow me, sometimes I'll actually coach them, like stop, like, you know, just follow my tension and if they can't follow that i'll um i'll do specific training so for yeah. example i'm trying to like in this lockdown i've been trying to to learn berimbolos which i've largely ignored for the last like 10 years because um there's always something else coming up and it doesn't come naturally to me so i have trouble getting people from standing to the butt so I can invert and then I've noticed that when we're actually in the double guard pull I still have trouble entering to that crab right or bolo position so what I've been doing is just asking people to go okay let me invert resist 20% from the second I'm inverted we go 100 or we go 80 if I'm still not getting it like if I'm not progressing because it's too much I'll go okay I just want you to leg pummel or I just want you to go 80%, a little bit less. Like if I do something right, let me get it. And so I've noticed I'm starting to get more and more and everyone's just playing. Like I'm obviously like if I was to fight for real, I would probably just come up and try to smash them, you know, but I'm I'm really trying like to learn. So for now, like say I'll get to like a uh, leg smash position, usually I'll go to mount and apply pressure, but I know that I can do that. So I force myself to invert and nine times out of 10, I'll lose the bolo and I'll lose the back and I'll probably like get two points against me, but it doesn't matter, you know, like because I'm playing and I'm experimenting. So I think if people don't get the vibe, specific training is a really good way of doing it and really define the boundaries. You know, I'm going to start on your back or I'm going to start, you know, from, um, reverse de la Hiva, when like we completely get out of the position, start again. And then people don't see it so much as a loss, yeah. I think. And then they stop fighting as much. I Would totally agree? agree. And I think it's, to me, it's even funner because it's like, you know, what's coming. You're like, not that bolo. You're like, no. And you're fighting. So you're just fighting this <laughs> one thing. And it's like the most retarded thing that you're fighting because usually like <laughs> the person could just come up and like take your back or mount you. And yeah. you're just like, fighting to keep your ass on the ground and you're like my ass is staying on the ground I mean if if you saw because I was with Hope when we were both trying to figure I mean she now she's like a crab ride master but but if you saw the beginning stages of what we did at least she's flexible I am not that flexible and it's like I have to say I I created a Tessa Bolo because Ah, because yes. I'm not that flexible. So it's like I ended up in this other weird position and I just own it. I'm like, this is my, yeah, and I'm like, this is my you. attempt at a bolo and this is what I end up with. And I'm never going to be able to do the crab ridey thing because my head cannot get to your ass and it doesn't stay there. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah. That's it. 
But like if you didn't if you didn't play initially and if you didn't take a step back and became a white belt at totally. that skill again, you would never because you're, that, you're right? putting you're making yourself you're allowing yourself to be vulnerable, right? And to, with somebody else who's also yeah. allowing themselves to be vulnerable, and it's it's kind of fun, yeah. Exactly, it is. It's super fun, and look, it does really depend. I think what your it goals does. are. It is absolutely possible to be a world champion like black belt, like, and have just like one game. Like I think. Leandro Lowe, for example, is a good idea. I don't think he could teach a, a deep half guard sweep, you know. Or I might be wrong, but I did actually ask him that, and he was like, or someone in the seminar asked him, and he was but like, But how was his English? I don't do this, that. <laughs> that, don't do that. Like, the English has always <laughs> like, been his problem, so over her, like, is like. Yeah. But there's just stuff he doesn't do, and he doesn't understand why he would do it, right? Whereas, um, I get a lot of fun out of being well-rounded. And I think that comes down from my coach, Lockie. Um, he's very well-rounded and I get a kick out of learning new techniques. It's like, it's the fun part of jiu-jitsu for me. Uh, and even though my comp game is probably narrow, I want to be good from everywhere. Like, And that's like a 20-year goal. That's not a one-year goal, you know. Um, but yeah, it probably depends. It, it's If you want to win the Worlds and with one game, like Bernardo Ferreira, like top and bottom, you probably can. Um, so you might not want to expend everywhere, but I find that boring. Actually, we, we've just filmed an instructional with uh, Lockie and Ari, um, oh, Ari's, guard retention Ari's instructional. amazing. Like he, his level I've, to watch him progress is the same like watching how Levi progressed. It's amazing what you guys are doing down there. It's it's phenomenal. I mean, like the the his guard retention is amazing, and and you're absolutely right. Partly it's because of his mobility. Um, for most people, you can get more, like this is my physio hat on. Uh, if you stretch your hamstrings enough, it will really, really help you with your invert. But there are, like if you have problems with your neck and back and your hamstrings are super stiff, your invert is not going to be your A game. I think you, exactly. You still have to know it. You have to know what to do when you're inverted and know a couple of recoveries, but you also have to know when not to fight and when to give up the pass, you know, because you'll get injured and you won't train again. Um and it's that, like we're even trying to change our, our white blue belt syllabus to everyone has to know the basics. And then for your guard, your first guard system, you actually choose your own adventure. Oh, that's great. That so sounds like, like fun. Depending on the body type because, yeah, I mean, like we have so, you know, we might teach whatever. Like we might spend a month teaching De La Hiva sweeps and bolos and De La Hiva retention. And there's guys that are like 50, 55 that are stiff as a board. They're just never going to play that they're going to be half guard players because they can't if you want to be an elite level competitor i think you do have to have really good like de la hiva k guard outside guards but then when you play outside guards you have to have the mobility because you will get stacked and you have to be comfortable from there or your retention has to be so good that you never get stacked which is really hard um so it yeah i think i agree with you tessa some people just i think you have to know it and you have to know the defense and i think you need to be able to teach it uh, but you you might not ever be able to play uh, that game. Like I'm trying to get more mobile and stretch my hips a bit more, but I get impingement. You know, my, my socket, like it's shaped in a way that if I keep pushing, I'll get bony spurs and it will make it worse. So there's a limit to what you, your body can do. do what I kind think. of approach are you even doing right now, considering that you have a background in, in gymnastics? Of course, they follow a different, totally different protocol for flexibility and also strength in those range and now with your physio hat on and then mm -hmm. also with i, I kind of see the past few years have been like a mobility takeover in the fitness industry so there's a lot of stuff especially like frc yeah. popping up everywhere so how do you even kind of select which approach 
for different body parts and, and different goals now for yourself. Yeah. And we could share some to Tessa. I and like, for myself too, I mean. <laughs> yeah. It's, it is a bit different. Like, so from a physio perspective, I mean, like, it, it usually is dependent of an injury. So every person will have a very individual approach from me uh, and depending what they need and depending what age and what the goals are. Um, I myself, I have a strength and conditioning coach who is really, really good. Uh, we actually, again, just recorded a podcast with him and another expert um, in strength and conditioning for jiu-jitsu. Uh, so I do SNC. Lockie has never lifted a weight in his life before and he came third and open weight in ADCC. Um, and he's super strong, you know, but he's never lifted a, like, I can deadlift more than him. Uh, not like if he trained, he could obviously deadlift a lot more than me, but um, I do it for a couple of reasons uh, and mainly being rehab and keeping my knee healthy. I think it's necessary. When I don't do it, my knee gives way and it just feels awful. And the other reason was before ADCC, I needed to put on bulk. So I needed to get bigger um, and you know, obviously I don't want to just get fatter. I needed to put on muscle mass. Uh, but in fairness, like doing too much SNC takes away from jujitsu, I think. And I think better use of your time if your body allows you to work on your mobility. Like, so like you can spend like two hours every day drilling like guard retention, or you could just spend like 10 minutes a day trying to get more flexible, which will help you with the guard retention a lot more than the drilling probably would. Um, same with strength. I think it's really important to have like baseline strength. Like if you're a floppy, low tone person and like you struggle getting up from sweeps and a lot of smaller girls are like that, I do think you need some like grit and you need like some tension. You have to be able to produce the tension in your body. However, like it, there's a ceiling effect, you know, whether I can deadlift 120 kilos or 100 kilos, I don't think that's going to make a difference to my jiu-jitsu in the slightest. Like it's not going to, I've never lost a match and came away and said, oh, I was just too weak. You know, it's always been because like I, I wasn't good enough te technically. Uh, but of course you do need some base level of strength, I think. If you're a recreational athlete and you're training two or three times a week, like probably yoga is a good way to start to like just get supple. But if you're more of a professional athlete and you're looking to get better at jiu-jitsu, I think you have to be really mindful of stretching in the correct ranges. So, you know, that might not be the best for lifestyle. Like you might actually have to stretch like uh, your hamstrings or your like legs are going to be really weird, but like pigeon stretch you know like it's usually like here but you don't re recover guard like this you recover guard here so you need to be flexible here not like your standard yoga poses so i think it's really important i don't yeah, even recover to, to guard flexible. like that i was like what <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to be ari man like he he's i've learned so much from them but yeah the more mobility you have the less you have to rely on on strength and technique right? I think also depends kind of like where you are, like which, which climate you're at and just how much more exposure uh, within the community. But out here, I definitely see a difference when people think of strength here. They automatically think, oh, I got to join a gym. I got to lift weights. I'm like, well, can you even handle your own body weight before you go? And can you even like generate tension mm. without external load before you actually go and load yourself and not understand mechanically where you're supposed to be? executing from where you're supposed to be generating tension from so do you have any advice for especially for girls because i tell you right now girls out girls don't want to bulk up yeah. that's like the misconception they have first of all right you tell me you want to build strength i'm doing jujitsu i don't want to bulk up so give me some other strength advice 
I think um I think actually like from my own experience and I build muscle relatively quickly it's actually really hard to bulk up like it's it's re- I mean I was lifting heavy 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 three times a week before ADCC and eating a lot and and I still failed to like gain 4 kilos of muscle and that's for someone who's naturally quite muscular you know you're not going to bulk up that quickly by doing a few deadlifts um I think getting a coach is probably important I think uh, you have to know or at least like someone to tell you what you're doing if you have no idea. Um, the research, uh, newer research shows that women definitely respond better to strength training than men. So it is more important for women, uh, especially in things like ACL prevention. There's also some studies that show that um, like men towards between the 20 and 30, I think was the study. I might be wrong again, but uh, you can actually get enough strength from your sport. Like, so just by like, like say Lockie, for example, he can, especially with his style, he uses a lot of isometric strength and pressure. So he actually gets really strong doing his sport and that's less applicable to women. So women, like especially 25 to 30 and over have a massive drop off unless they do strength work. Um, and the other reason for women would be uh, for like bone health and jujitsu gives you enough resistance. You know, you have someone always squashing you and stuff. So it is like lifting weights. Uh, but yeah, women tend to have slightly better results from strength training than men. But I still think like if you have limited time, don't do don't do weights, just do jujitsu. If you're like, I don't know, working full time and you can only train twice a week because you have kids or whatever it is um, and you literally can't do anything else, for sure, do like a yoga and a, like one or two strength sessions as well if you can't get to the gym. But I would never, if your goal is to do jiu-jitsu, don't miss um, jiu-jitsu to lift weights. It's not going to make you that much better, I think. Training power is not just by doing glute work. Like training power is like a specific part of SNC where it's to do with like strength and speed and, and plyos and stuff. So um, you don't get power just from having glutes. You have to train them in a specific way. Uh, in terms of, yeah, hip extension is extremely important, but so is hip flexion. If you want to be good at retaining guard, you actually have to have pretty strong hip flexors as well. So uh, I don't know that it's like, correct to say just work your glutes and you'll be fine you need you sometimes need a push as well as a pull obviously you need to pull more you need hip flexors to work you need you know your obliques and rectus and and like you probably don't need your calves so much unless you're you're wrestling <laughs> okay so we have um 30 seconds we're we playing the game yeah, we're playing the game uh, yes Liv, i made a game okay. for you okay oh god yeah and, and this game is called how Ozzy, are you? Echo, 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 echo. Ah, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna say in? a whole bunch of Aussie phrases. <laughs> maybe mispronounce them because I don't know what Aussie language all of it is. And then you have to answer in English, like what the rest of the world would recognize. Yeah. Understand. Okay. Are you ready? All right. All right. All right. You tell all right, me when Emma, to start. You ready? Yeah. You tell me when to start. Time. Okay. Go. Arvo. No idea. You don't know what Arvo is? Oh God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Cobber. C O B B E R. Oh, uh, I know, but I actually don't know because I'm Polish. <laughs> nah, nah, pass. Yes. I'm terrible Crook. at this game. Like, sick or a criminal? Uh, sick. Okay, we'll give you sex. Ding. Okay, squiz. Like, like you time squeeze up. someone, squish them. What? what? We haven't That's even. That's too short oh, of a time. I, I think, like, 30 <laughs> seconds is too short. We're going to need to make this, like, a okay. minute or something. 
Okay, add add an, add another minute because we have we have so many to go through. <laughs> we only got through four. We only got through four. Okay, so we'll, we'll, try, to, we'll try to go to them quicker. Okay, ready? Three, okay, okay. two, one, go. Okay, drongo. Like a bogan? Yeah, close enough. Know. Waffle on. Keep talking. Okay, good. Blah, blah, blah. Fanny. <laughs> a vagina. Yaka. Uh, Yaka. Y-A-K-K. Like hard yaka, but I don't actually know what it means. <laughs> okay, bad. <laughs> Bulldust. <laughs> Bulldust? Okay, no, bad. I don't know. Kark it. Kark it. Like, um, I I don't know. I die. Oh, that's a good one. Thing. I... Fuck all. Yeah. Fuck all. <laughs> <laughs> like nothing. Thing. Okay. Servo. Servo? S E R V O. Servo. Oh, like petrol station. Okay, okay. Snags. Station. Uh, okay. Sausages. Yobo. Y O B B O. Yabo. Yobo. Yobo. Like a bogan. Redneck. Thing. See, okay. We just had to get past the first part. Yeah. What's the first one? What's Arvo? Arvo. Afternoon. Arvo. Oh, Arvo. Did I not pronounce it right? That's <laughs> what I said. Like, Arvo. Yeah. Like just Arvo. Avo, mate. Yeah, like we'll we'll meet in the Avo. I'm a very bad Aussie. So out of twelve, you got nine, which is not bad. <laughs> That's not bad. Yeah, 75%. for two minutes, you're doing okay. Yeah, but two minutes. All right, all right. <laughs> Let's just say I'm Polish, not Australian. Oh, you're seventy five Austral seventy five percent Australian according to this quiz. No. Yeah. Uh, okay. That's yeah. that's good. That's good. Yeah. I'll take it. Dude, this was so much fun. I really appreciate you taking the time out to do this with us. That was really fun. We I know. It's super it. fun, right? It's just... <laughs> we should just do it for fun. Just just have a chat. Just random. <laughs> random musings. My, okay, this is called the random question part of the thing, where now M lets me ask my random questions. Okay. Between you and Lachlan, who can eat the most yogurt? Probably Lockie. I don't know. Yeah. Lucky. Okay. Say that. Before you break people's joints, do you check what type of insurance they have first? Okay. Now we know it's not really applicable because nah. you're in Australia. They'll be fine. Yeah, you just okay. break it. What is your first meal after comp? I have gone to Compton to get burgers after Worlds. You didn't go to Roscoe's Ruby's... Chicken and Waffles after Worlds? No, I've never had. <gasps> no, never. That's but the shit. Ruby's um, thousand cal- Ruby's Diner thousand calorie shake. Does it for me Nina. as well. Okay. Why is McDonald's called Macca's? Macca's because it's easier to say. Macca's. Robert. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mate. What Aussie slang do you use the most? Obviously not Arvo or like Cobber. <laughs> no, I use Arvo, but not Arvo. <laughs> it's the same word. It's just, we're going to have some Macca's in the Arvo, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, nah, yeah. Yeah, nah, yeah. We say that a lot. Uh, heaps, but that's not a slang. Where is the f- where is your favorite place that jujitsu has taken you, other than Hawaii? Uh, okay. Hawaii. Other uh, than Hawaii, the, probably probably Galapagos <gasps> Islands was pretty Whoa. cool. You did um, jujitsu in the Galapagos? What? We did. We didn't go there because of jujitsu, but yeah, we ended up teaching and being. You're um, like heel hooking a turtle over there. there. Yeah, poor turtle <laughs> has no heel now. Bastard! They're endangered species. <laughs> okay, that's okay because Chinese people eat them. How much can you squat, and then why did you drop me in Hawaii? (laughs) (laughs) I can squat, I think my PB is about 110 kilos. Which is a lot more than how much I weigh. Thank you very much. Whoops. (laughs) I I dropped you because it was fun. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I won't drop you next time, I promise. I'll be like, I'll overhead squat you. Like, 
like uh, Ultimate Warrior style? Yeah. Bulldust. <laughs> Bulldust. <laughs> oh, yeah, what's Bulldust? Bulldust is, is dead. It's bu- bullshit. Bulldust, yeah, it's like a lie. Who are your jujitsu idols and who would you want to fight in a super fight? Ooh. Oh, I have lots. I mean, like, Lucky's my idol. That's so lame. That's so lame. So... Oh, my God. <laughs> Um, no, like I, I grew up with lots. Uh, like when I first started, it was like, you know, Cabrinha and Marcelo and um, Michelle Nicolini yeah. and like Luisa Monteiro. Totally. Who I'm like really good friends with both of them now. And I've been able like to teach camp with Luisa. We've trained, um, you know, with I, I got to train with pretty much all my idols. Um, now it's changed. Like I, I watch everyone's games uh, and and I idolize the ability to do a move. In terms of a personality, like sometimes you get disappointed after you meet people that are black belts. Not all, obviously, but like you know, uh, people I look up to would be like Fabio Gugel. We've trained with him in, for six yeah. months. Like Marcelo, He's a great is person, just lovely yeah. and kind, and uh, you know, like Louisa and Michelle are so down to earth. Totally. Fion Davies is. You know, a, a good mate, and I haven't met her yet. I have her. to like hang out with she's, her. I'm a little bit scared to roll with her. Amazing. She's gonna break stuff. Yeah, yeah. she's so scary. Yeah. She's she's very 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 good, uh, but so down to earth and normal. So, to me, like the idols are like people who are maintaining. Like they they're still you know intelligent and they're they're an expert in the field, but they're also real and kind and, and just normal human beings. But I have a lot of different people I look up to in terms of actual jiu-jitsu skill. Um, so there's probably too many to name. Okay, who you want for your yeah. super fight? Oh, super fight. Oh, pretty much like anyone in the light feather sort of division. I would actually love to fight Jazari in, in Nogi, uh, have a rematch from Worlds. Uh, but yeah, anyone in like light feather, like I actually never fought Talita. Uh, oh. and again, we're, we're like good friends, but we've just never fought in a comp. Um, like Amanda Monteiro, I'd like to fight Maisa again, even though she's a bit lighter yeah. now. Um, yeah, they're like pretty much anyone in like the top five, top, top 10 in the light feather div. Okay. You heard that. Polaris, make it happen. All those like, yeah. all those, yeah. When we can get out of Melbourne, which will be probably in another year. It could happen. There could be a fight island, fight island, you know, you might not be able to... Fight yeah, island, You yeah. might not be able to come oh, back. we do like a, a, a Zoom fight, like, I get your cross lapel, Tessa. <laughs> like Dungeons What's and Dragons, I go some dice, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> super fight. <laughs> I would love to see random super fights between people who, who are, can't really fight in their sport, so they have to do different sports, like... Super Mario yeah. Brothers, go head-to-head in Mario Kart <laughs> racing, bitches. All right, okay. And then you're like, okay, now play Battleship. Who sunk whose Battleship, motherfuckers? Yeah. That would be awesome. I think some I'm people just miss talking smack, I'll fight right? You. Yeah. you just miss talking smack. Yeah, Liv's, Liv's, Liv's just going to be like, I'm moving up to Absolute. I'm going to take down your battle carrier. Like. <laughs> Damn right, bitch. <laughs> Vicious. She's vicious. Watch out, folks. <laughs> Do you think you and Lachlan will come up with uh, a series for, I guess, couples in tutorials? Actually, we we did have like an idea in the first lockdown, like to because it is so many people are stuck at home with the couples that have never done jujitsu before. Or sorry, one person has never done, and it's actually really difficult. Um, probably not so much for couples. Uh, I mean. <laughs> 
I guess your partner, like any jiu-jitsu partner, is kind of a couple, right? But we are coming up with a few things. So we've got a guard retention DVD or instructional in the making, and we're also coming up with a really big project that will be through, like, beginner to advanced. Not specifically for couples. I think it's more just advice on, like, you know, how to resist and how to be a good training partner, how to not get pissed off at your training partner. And, <laughs> That's and probably essential. <laughs> At home. <laughs> How yeah. not to get so the cops wanted... called on you because it's domestic violence versus you're just chaining. Yeah. No, we're just chaining. We're just chaining. Yeah, we've got like facial bruises. and But no, it is a real skill. Like I used to, um, again, in my blue belt days, I used to crack it at Lockie a lot. Crack it? Is that Australian? Yeah, I was like... I used to like, uh, you know... Saltine? <laughs> used to what? Peter saltine. Yeah. <laughs> saltine. <laughs> no, I used to get like really angry if something didn't work. Like I'd be like... You know, slamming the doors and leaving the the gym, uh, or like our floor, sorry, our home mats. Um, and I used to see a sports psych uh, for like competition anxiety and claustrophobia. And I was like, eh, Lockie's an asshole. He teaches me differently <laughs> than he would a student. And my psych was like totally like Tim Liv. And he was like, actually, you're the bitch here. He's giving up his time to teach you and you're being an ungrateful little bitch. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. So like, I think I, I had to work really hard on what he told me, which is something that stuck with me is that if you keep behaving like that on the mats, eventually Lockie will form this opinion of you as a person, not as a jiu-jitsu student. And that's going to affect your relationship, you know? So Early on, I had to make like uh, distinction, like rules, yeah. like yeah, like you know, after midnight, I'm your partner. Like you can't pass my guard. <laughs> I want to be your girlfriend and eat dinner in, like in peace. But that's changed now. Like now we can just like I don't know, do work. It's like oh, can I just try this move on you? You know, so we don't have that problem anymore. But I did have to work a bit on how I behaved. We used to like have to go to the gym if he was coaching me instead of doing it at home because we both behaved a little bit differently at the gym. Uh, but yeah, we we don't have any issues now. It's good fun. Oh, interesting, interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's like love line. You guys can be like the love line partner jujitsu help couple call in. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready to listen to the world? Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> don't be a bitch. Be nice to each Would other. Would that be your personal mantra? <laughs> Which is wise words. Yeah, that should be for everybody. Like. <laughs> Regardless if you have a jiu-jitsu partner or not, don't be a bitch yeah. and be nice to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Mis- yeah. Mr. Rogers would approve of that message. <laughs> Thank you guys for tuning into this episode with Livia. Do check out our Instagram at Livia underscore Giles. And Tessa's Instagram at the Cookie Ho. That's D-A-C-O-O-K-I-E-H-O, the Cookie Ho. If you enjoyed this chat and would like to support this podcast, it would mean a lot if you could support via Patreon. Link will be in the show notes. If you're sharing this episode with your friends on social media, do tag us. We'd love to hear from you. Tag us on Instagram at Podcast and at T-H-E Emily Tan. That's the Emily Tan. Catch y'all in the next episode.